This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today I have the wonderful honor of interviewing Miss Rosalind Palmer, who is an emotional well-being expert and advanced rapid transformational hypnotherapist and a certified coach. Rosalind was one of the very first to train in RTT with Marissa Peer and has become one of the most sought-after RTT practitioners worldwide. As best-selling author of the award-winning self-help book, Reset, A Blueprint for a Better Life, Rosalind makes emotional well-being accessible to all. Rosalind is also a co-author of Amazon number one best-selling self-help books, Ignite Your Life for Women and Ignite Your Female Leadership. Rosalind co-hosts the popular radio show Girls Around Town on Radio Network. As the well-being expert, as a monthly newspaper column and features regularly on podcasts and in many publications, including most recently Psychology and Practice, she was featured as an emotional well-being expert on the Janie Lee Grace Show on UK Property Radio and formerly the MD founder of award-winning PR agency RPPR, head of marketing for an international charity with an enviable CV from leading London-led agencies in the 80s and 90s, Rosalind has grown from many challenging life experiences. This color and tempers her writing, broadcasting, and speaking. Welcome, Rosalind, and thank you so much. Is it Rosalind or Rosalind? How- it's Rosalind. It's Rosalind. Oh, okay. I was relaxed about it. I've been cool worth, Catherine. I really have. So, so. <laughs> As have I. <laughs> As have we all. Right? <laughs> For <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on and I'm really excited to talk with you because you have, I'm sure, so many things and and teachable moments to share with us. Would you like to start by just kind of explaining where you grew up and and how you grew up and how you came to be who you are today? Yeah, because I, um, funnily enough, in the Ignite books, which I think the Ignite moments are very like the teachable moments, that's what those books are about. And when I went into the leadership book, I had to really think, mm, what, what made me a leader or what gives me the credentials that I can say, yes, I understand leadership. And it really did go back you know, to my upbringing, of course. So I was born a grocer's daughter, a short, short, small shopkeeper's daughter. And I lived in a very, very humble beginning. I mean, so much so that when I was about four, they, they, they pulled the houses down, you know, they cleared them for slum clearance for redevelopment, probably like in America, like they do in the projects or the poorer areas. Um, so that's how deprived a neighborhood it was. But my parents and my father's mother before him and his parents had the, the corner shop, had the, the shop in the community. And I didn't realize, because you don't realize these things till many years later, but but uh, they were the, the social services of their time because back in the 60s, there the weren't so many good social services and help. Mm-hmm. And my parents would know whose husband had gambled their money away, which wives couldn't afford to pay for their shopping. And so they'd come in and, and right from an early age, I was sort of seeing philanthropy in action, if you like. And also, I was seeing business in action because when you live above the shop, you know, mm-hmm. Mag- Margaret Thatcher, our English prime minister, who is very divisive in people's opinion. But, you know, she she was a grocer's daughter, too, from not terribly far away from where I lived. And, you know, business is part of your your life. You know, if you want pocket money, you, you go and bag some potatoes up or you do something. So I realized only recently, really, that that upbringing both taught me philanthropy it taught me to look out for the underdog it taught me connection it taught me leadership it taught me business it taught me you know family values so yeah that's been the grounding part of my whole life really Mm. 
Perfect. And yeah, I, I find it so interesting how whenever people grow uh, kind of in the poorer realm, they actually learn far more business skills than sometimes they even realize. Absolutely. You learn what you live and you live what you learn. And when you're literally part of it, you know, you, my parents used to take a lot of money in cash back in the day. And we used to have these two huge blue vases that my father had brought back from India because he'd been in the army in India. And basically, if you ever asked for anything, they'd put their hand in the vase and just pull cash out and give it to you. you know very different upbringing to oh, yeah. today but then they always really encouraged me to join the girl guides and, and again that that whole philanthropy it probably wasn't such a weird coincidence that I ended up head of marketing for an international charity because those values are instilled in you right from a very early age mm-hmm. absolutely so you've done a lot <laughs> I'm still, I'm still doing. (laughs) Yes. And, and it's so vast and different. So like, well, maybe chronologically tells the story more. So obviously I was very driven as a child, you know, because I'm living in this business environment. We then ended up living separately to the shop but that was still very much part of my life Mm -hmm. I went to a massive what we call comprehensive school I think you call them public school so you know it was you know 1700 kids it wasn't great but I was very bright but I was actually bullied because I was bright Mm. Um, I was very shy I was an introvert I died as a baby both my lungs collapsed when I was 18 months old and I'd been given massive doses of antibiotics for years and years and it made all my dentine or my teeth come through the wrong colors and so I was very bullied I was very shy I was very bookish and it made me love literature because also I'd spend quite a lot of time uh, because I had a very fragile immune system at that time being being quite ill and so I became very much a child who lived in her imagination so literature English writing all those things were always my you know my love equally though I had this business brain and you know my A-levels just before university I did economics which is very mathsy but I, I went the English route so I'm an unusual yin and yang <laughs> you know I'm I'm I've got this very left brain right brain thing going on which means I can be really good in business and I really understand spreadsheets and all the things about business but equally I'm really happy just sitting reading a book or writing and you know being creative so that took me right through to university I did an English degree and then I always thought I'd be a journalist things didn't quite work out because of a whole bunch of reasons and I fell into the then infant days of the career called public relations I went for an interview to be the PR person I didn't even know what it meant I was like what is PR you know because we're talking the kind of mid 80s and it was a new new career so people didn't really know what it was but I was told well you'll be dealing with people you'll be writing lots of stuff and press releases you've got to get people interviews um you'll be brilliant at it and it turned out I was brilliant at it so I I fell into that I ended up working for the go-to PR agency of the whole of England in London Lynn Frank's PR which that crazy series absolutely fabulous is based on and so this girl from you know the public school and above the shop you know I end up representing the Rolling Stones and going on the Orient Express and mixing with royalty and celebrities so it was a very strange world for me at that time wow I bet yeah I can imagine I mean I grew up kind of in a in a poor you know area as well not to mention we were in a small town so in the middle of Kansas (laughs) (laughs) like Dorothy Wizard of Oz (laughs) um I I that was my first job The town that I grew up in, we actually had the Land of Oz and Dorothy's house. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Do they yeah. let you slippers? <laughs> yes. I walked around with, with a basket and had Toto in it. And I gave tours of Dorothy's house and, and how. I, you know, I'd be up for that tour. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> oh, you should. I think everyone should. It's actually like, it's such a cute tour. Um, the town itself, you know, I, I, I personally hate that town. I grew up there. <laughs> The, the museum and everything else there is fantastic. <laughs> so you get, you get that this was uh, not a familiar world for me. Yes. Um, 
And then I married my first husband. He'd gone to school with the royal family, you know, so he came from a very different side of the tracks to me. So what I'm really brilliant at, so I'm just waving to somebody in the garden, um, is that I'm, you know, I can be a chameleon. I'm very adaptable. And I did, I did take to it because I, I just turn up and kind of what you see is what you get. And I was driven. I was smart. I was articulate. I was good at what I did. I really wanted to do a good job. And so I found I was a really big success in this world, even though I didn't probably come from the same background at that time mm. as a lot of the girls working in it. I mean, I can remember one of them saying to me on Friday, oh, isn't it lovely when we get paid because it's my pocket money for the weekend and I was like I have to live on that for the month <laughs> I have to pay my rent with that and my food with that and my transport with that and she just went oh how sweet you know it's like <laughs> you know does not compute right. you know, like like mixing with Paris Hilton or somebody you know they're yeah. a bit like, oh how, how lovely how novel for you but I I found it was just great and I think my skill is that I always love wherever I am. I always love whoever I'm with, which means, you know, because we're talking about lessons you learn, and maybe again, I've only realized these in retrospect, is that I literally have worked for the Royal Family. I worked for the Duke of Edinburgh Awards and mixed with the Royal Family and the Stones and Daniel Day-Lewis and some really top, top celebrities. Mm. And I have been head of marketing for an international charity for the leprosy mission and stood on an underpass under five lanes of traffic in Mumbai with people who live under tarpaulin and don't even have any fingers. And I'm equally able to, to mix with those people and to find compassion and connection with those people. So I think that's been one of my soul's lessons and journeys definitely yeah that's and that's a huge one because not everybody of course gets any of those opportunities or even some in some cases i recently read i'm reading a book which i highly recommend she tells a story in there about how she went to india and was there on a missionary trip and there was a family that she stayed with and she would see kids walk down the street with like broken legs and broken feet and things like that, asking for money. And she was told by the family that she was staying with that there have been instances apparently um, where parents will actually break the leg of the children there in order to tell them to go ask for money so that people will feel sorry well, for them. that movie, isn't it? Slumdog Millionaire, I believe. I think it's that movie. A movie like that where they, they actually blind the, the children. And I, I, you know, this does go on. I don't know, you know, clearly India is becoming a very developing country and right. they're doing everything they can to stop these terrible practices. But even when I was working for the leprosy mission, I was in the slums of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and one of the men there had no legs and he had a little platform. It was a wooden platform with wheels that he would wheel himself to the side of the road to get to beg. Now, he had not had any option other than to do that. He clearly couldn't do any other kind of work. But we did hear instances where people, if we tried to take them out of that environment, they were like, well, how do I make the money? Because that was all they'd ever known. Right. So these things sometimes take a generation to break. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, so I realize a lot of my soul's lessons in retrospect, I think because I've been writing a lot, I have a weekly blog and newsletter and I now have three books and I have a newspaper column. I, I think I've done a lot more reflecting about what is it I learned? What were those things? Because at the time you kind of just get on with it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes. So I ended up in the early 90s having my own company. So I was made redundant. So look, these are I've had all these life events that people are terrified of. I've been made redundant, I think, twice, possibly three times. I'm not sure. And at the time, it just felt, you know, oh my goodness, that's my glittering career is coming to a terrible end. But no, I think because my parents were business people, my father said, look, this is your chance to, to go it alone. Give it a go. Just give it six months and see what happens. And so I started from my spare bedroom. My first employee was my basset hound, Rosie. My then husband did all the books and the finance and all that bit. And... 
nine years later, I sold that company when it had a 1.3 million pound turnover. Nice. And what company was that? That was our PPR. So that was the PR company, my own PR company. Uh huh. We won best um, small, meaning like under five million pound PR company in 1999. I was runner up in the Women Into Business Awards, which were probably the most prestigious women entrepreneur awards that year. So we became very high profile. We, we were seen as the go-to company. And of course, that was at the time when kind of a lot of buying and selling and mergers of companies was taking place, I think, all over the world. Certainly it was in London and managed to sell it. But I did it because I needed to get out because I was really behind the mask at that time so those years leading up to that were very hard you know I I had all the entrapments of success I had an eight bedroom house in London I had a driver I had a nanny I had a personal trainer I went to the gym I belonged to a very expensive private members only club you know I had that life because we worked and we were doing 100 hour weeks every week for it but equally I didn't sleep at night because I'm always spinning the plates my mind wouldn't switch off I'm it's PR it's hard to switch off and there's a lot of evening events so which looks incredibly glamorous but you know I'd yearn to just be home having beans on toast and watching something rubbish on the television you know wearing my Mm -hmm. pajamas and that was a rarity because you've got to be very up it's a very you know public thing isn't it I can really relate to celebrities not only because I've mixed with a lot of them but you know I I wore a mask. I wore a really, really effective mask. And the better it looked to everybody from the outside, the worse it felt on the inside. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I think everybody, you know, at some point in their life wears a mask and, and has to come to a point where they take it off because, you know, you, you really cannot just keep up a charade forever. Like it's exhausting. <laughs> I was absolutely exhausted and that was the problem. So I I chart this in my book. I was probably very fortunate that I ended up doing the PR for Tony Robbins when Mm -hmm. he was breaking into England in the early 90s. I met Marissa Peer at that time. I then became a bit of a go-to PR agency along with other things we did for these very high-level personal development people. So Edward de Bono, Robert Holden, who's very well known in England, Brandon Bayes, who's kind of known all over the world so obviously I'm being my mind is being open to this amazing world of NLP and hypnotherapy and personal development and and it was a lifesaver really because obviously I was always working on myself I did all of their courses so that I was able to be a really effective and congruent spokesperson for them so I trained in NLP I trained did the whole of Tony Robbins Mastery University going all over the world with him. I trained in hypnotherapy, but I never was a practicing therapist. And I used that within my business, but also on myself. And thank God I did. And I had a very good Ayurvedic doctor. I was vegetarian. I would, you know, go to the gym. So I did lots of things well. Mm -hmm. I did lots of things not well. Right. (laughs) I was bulimic. I drank far too much because it was part of that world as well, that culture in the 90s. I hardly ever slept. I couldn't sleep without a heavy-duty sleeping tablet. I worried all the time. I couldn't turn my mind off. I was depleting myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually, which is why my AMA doctor said to me one day, I don't know which one's going to come first for you, the physical or the mental breakdown. You need to get out. And that's when I thought I need an end game to sell the business and move on. Mm. So when we did that, and then we moved to the Bahamas because my ex took over the family business he came from there I really do think yeah I've pulled it off <laughs> you know, right. I pulled it off I get the cake I get the candles I get the icing mm. I did it and 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 I haven't <laughs> <laughs> as it turned out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life had a couple of other new lessons for me. And the big lesson was, no, you did not pull it off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because it certainly sounded like you had. I mean, you I thought I had. I did. sold yeah. your company and retired in the Bahamas. Self-made millionaire at 40, living in the wow. Bahamas. I'd got two children. I hadn't been able to conceive. And I now realize, you know, my poor body was so depleted, hardly surprising. So I adopted. But I did really think you know I was a bit like the cat that got the cream a bit but then it all just imploded (laughs) it all went wrong (laughs) 
What happened? Oh, it went very, very badly wrong. <laughs> oh, no. So, well, A, I suddenly went from being a quite high-profile, driven, highly regarded, self-actualized businesswoman to being a mum, <laughs> you know, in a foreign country mm. with two mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. And no job, no status, no, I wasn't allowed to work there. I didn't even have any status there. And I remember being at the school gate waiting for my kids at this kind of posh gated community school and this American woman going, what's your favorite cupcake recipe? And me going, <laughs> I used to be a businesswoman. <laughs> right. And she was like, oh, okay. So like, time I went to pick my children up I could see her kind of like you know going the other way around you know <laughs> so yeah I really I lost my identity I lost my ego I lost my sense of self I lost my home I lost my connection to my family who were back in England I I, I was displaced and mm -hmm. I didn't have the autonomy the purpose the drive the recognition all the things that okay you know they'd been hard and I'd had to work really hard for them but I didn't have any of that and I'm in a foreign country and with hindsight my ex who had to be the breadwinner at that time because he actually had a right to work there and live there he you know without we're not going to you know portion blame here but he didn't cope very well I think would be the nice way of right it. of course and that was too much for him and taking his his father died suddenly and taking the family company over and mm. suddenly he's got you know, wife and two kids to take care of, and it's a very expensive place to live. He became very distant, you know, so that wasn't great, okay? And then my father had a stroke on my birthday back in England, and I flew back to England, and he was really very touch and go and very ill, and then he got very, very depressed. Mm. I came back, my dog had been run over literally at the side of the road. It was like, and it was almost like God had gone, ah, here we go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Strap yourself in. <laughs> right. um, um, and just, it was unrelenting for 18 months because my father had the stroke on my birthday. Then he got very depressed. It was really difficult. I'm flying back to England. I'm coming back. The kids weren't settling well because they needed stability. And, you know, mm. I'm their father's kind of trying to rescue this business. I'm flying back to England. I mean, it was really not great. They're in a foreign country. I then start to not feel very well. I have a mammogram, a well woman check. I get the all clear. I'm like, I just don't feel well. I'm like getting really tired, everything. And, you know, from finding a lump in the shower three weeks later, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I've got really bad breast cancer. So uh, that happened to me. Then I had my treatment in America. I, but I had to work out where I was going to go because they didn't have a good enough hospital in the Bahamas at the time. Right. So I ended up researching that. I ended up going to the Moffitt Cancer Clinic in Tampa, which was amazing. But, you know, I'm my, my kids and I'm living in the Bahamas. So the whole time I did that, nobody ever came with me to the hospital apart from my husband a few times. You know, I then felt I was being very bulldozed about the treatment into having lots of chemo and stuff. And I had to really stand my ground and dig deep and kind of go what feels right to me and I'm a very spiritual person and I had a few kind of really profound dreams and some really spiritual experiences in a, in a church that I went to and I just was like I don't think I need to do this and I had such certainty about it that I stood my ground and they did a load of biopsies and of course I did have the one original cancer there was no doubt about that but it was nowhere near as bad as everybody had thought so I ended up from being told I was going to have a double mastectomy and mm. reconstruction and radiation and chemotherapy. I had a lumpectomy and brachiotherapy radiation and that was it. I didn't have anything else. So we then moved to an out island in the Bahamas, which is a really beautiful place for a holiday. Kind of not quite so great to live. Um, <laughs> beautiful pink sand beach never saw anybody thousand palm trees because it would had been a farm so we grew everything we ate and then would get fish from the fishermen so literally i lived on the land and the sea to nice. heal um <laughs> during that time we had a hurricane we had two hurricanes and lost everything mm. my husband became even more distant the kids literally kind of <laughs> you know whoa 
kids right were on their own or and my stuff. dad's not doing well i'm having my treatment and then about six months after that i get a call from my mom's not well and i end up flying back to england again and i'm sat in a hospital with her being told she has three months to live with terminal pancreatic cancer you know and that all happened you know in a kind of a two-year period and i'm nothing else can happen it can't get any worse than this I had my shouting at God phase as I like to call mm. it I'd just walk up and down the beach shouting at him kind of not good words either I was very angry with God I think we can safely say actually living on the island was amazing it was really spiritual I went to bed with the sun and got up with the sun we didn't even have any tv we just read or we got videos I decided that I could only have positive things so they had to be happy videos or positive mm -hmm. videos happy book positive books you know if we couldn't grow it or catch it we virtually didn't eat it so actually it was an amazing spiritual fantastic time in lots of ways but there's all this chaos going on around me mm -hmm. and then with my my mom and then all the time my mantra in my head is at least we've got all that money in the bank mm. and then I discovered we didn't have all that money in the bank oh no what happened with that <laughs> oh again and you know i don't want to go you know make it into a big you know game. Game right. game. but you know my ex just made a whole series of really ill-judged investments and obviously mm -hmm. i was you know kind of not paying attention to all of that side of it because i was paying attention to trying to live to see the end of the year and right. you know, support my father and think about my mother and take care of the kids when i could and you know mm -hmm. everything else and so i'd really taken my eye off that ball and yeah that wasn't good <laughs> Wow. So I then ended up coming back to England and getting divorced. Mm. Um, so having left England with an eight bedroom house and my picture on the front of kind of Marketing Week magazine and all the rest of it, I came back pretty much a broke single mum with two kids, no job. I, what I had in the bank frozen because I froze it all pending the divorce just in time to see my mum die about five weeks later. So that was not a good time I think we can say <laughs> right yeah but wow. I came through I remarried that did seem a really good idea at the time <laughs> <laughs> it always does in the beginning <laughs> my childhood sweetheart came to my mother's funeral in my defense and I was really not in a good place in my life and it felt like rescue of course like a knight in shining armor and yeah. I'd always had a, you know it was my first love and mm -hmm. I'd always had this torch for him and him for me and and it just seemed like suddenly everything was going to be great again what i didn't realize so here's another you know soul learning is that you know we basically for nearly 20 or 30 years lived very different lives we'd become very different people we had very mm -hmm. different values mm -hmm. and when you have a values mismatch in a relationship and an expectations mismatch in a relationship it really doesn't take very long before um, you start to not rubber along quite as happily as you would have hoped to. So right. I learned that. And I really knew in the first year that that was the case. And I'd made a really big mistake. And my father even, you know, kind of told me. And I moved to the same village as him. And I became his carer one day a week. And that's when I moved into the charity. I was in a training and development company for a while. And then I moved into the thing, head of marketing for the charity. I should have here's a lesson I should have thrown the towel in then but because I really felt I'd already had one failed marriage you know right. and that I'd stood and made those vows in a church that I, I needed to make them stick and I needed to make them work and I was very stubborn and I didn't listen to either myself or other people and I developed tinnitus at that time which is interesting because now as a hypnotherapist I, I see that quite a lot it's literally me not listening to that inner wisdom that got me through everything up to that point <laughs> I know. So funny that you say that. I literally had someone tell me that recently and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> it makes total sense. And the, the kind of fun bit for me, again, I am being somewhat ironic here <laughs> with God going, oh, there's still some more lessons for you here. Was I then hit the menopause really badly? So I, I literally got married and the menopause just went, hello, I'm here. <laughs> right, which... Oh. <sighs> Because obviously yeah. having had breast cancer, it had triggered an early aggressive menopause. So mm -hmm. I 
overnight just sort of put wet all the terrible things brain fog i'm teary i can't sleep i'm like a furnace mm. i put weight on around my middle i i didn't know who i was i thought i was going mad i really mm. did and of course my husband just was a bit like oh i don't think i signed up for right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i laugh now it wasn't funny at the time right um, yeah of course <laughs> And of course, my GP, my doctor, mm. what, what, did, what was their solution? Oh, we'll put you on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. so you're depressed. Put you on antidepressants. Well, I became very depressed on the antidepressants. Oh, I bet. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, hold down a new career, you know, in this head of marketing for the charity. It, it was that, I'll be honest with you, I think that time was the hardest time of my life. Oh, the I other bet. stuff, they seem to be more of a a rallying cry within me I think because I was always trusting my inner voice and my inner judgment that even when it was awful really awful and everything just felt like it had been taken away from me and pretty much was if you think about it everything mm. you know my mother my house my father's house my home yeah. you know my identity my, <laughs> my my fortune you know you name it I still came through it kind of galvanized me but this really floored me I really do feel for menopausal women um it's a horrible there's a lot more awareness about it now but at the time i sort of suffered in silence yeah no yeah there's i mean there's there's of course mental health and and hormonal issues that are involved with that but mental health and hormonal issues like it, it seems like anything that isn't physically apparent is just hush hush and like nobody wants to talk about it and it's it's so prevalent that it can't not be talked about <laughs> I know. Luckily in England, I'm really good friends with a wonderful woman called Deborah Garlic who started Menopause in the Workplace about five years ago. And I was actually involved at the beginning. And it's really taken off right across England where they're going into big workplaces, corporations, police forces, you name it. And really saying, you know, you need a menopause policy here. You need understanding just as much as if you had a discrimination or disability mm -hmm. policy. And it's really taking off in England. I am so happy to say. That is phenomenal. Um, that was not the case about sort of 13, 14 years ago. Right, of course. <laughs> but it's great that I can see that it is changing. But that was a really difficult time for me because I genuinely lost myself at that time. I think I really thought I was going mad and I really just didn't know who I was and, and and that was very difficult and I'm trying to hold down a job and still be a mom you know I, I had my teenage son with me at the time and I, that was very and then I've you know not not really in a happy marriage either of course. being a carer to my father that probably was the best bit you know seeing my dad often mm -hmm. and going to his house and sitting at his kitchen table and doing the crossword with him and you know that mm -hmm. was lovely but then my dad died uh, on my 50th birthday oh no <laughs> Can you believe it oh that's <laughs> awful he had a stroke on my birthday and then like eight, oh i don't i think it's eight years later on my 50th birthday, he died. Right? Like, How can you do that? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I was so close to him, and so that was terrible. So, yeah, guess what? The marriage didn't last a lot longer after that. No, I bet not. <laughs> no. And so I was in a place five years ago, and I was, what now? You know, my then husband had gone. We were getting divorced. I was. You know, I enjoyed my job in the charity, but I, I wasn't feeling, I think I'd hit a glass ceiling, really. Mm -hmm. I, and it involved a lot of very arduous overseas trips, you know, to really poor, terrible places. Um, and I was getting quite ill a lot of the time. So I just kind of thought, not, not so sure this is so much fun anymore. And literally an email dropped into my email account from Marissa Peer going, I have been licensed to create a new methodology in hypnotherapy, a new school. And I am personally inviting the first people, the pioneers to train in it. I think you'd make a really great therapist. How about it? And I just thought, yeah, how about it? I just felt like I had nothing to lose. So I went along just almost out of curiosity. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just recently doing this podcast and things I've, you know, heard about NLP and, and hypnotism and, and therapies of those sorts, but I've never actually had a session myself. Super interested. The The book that I was mentioning earlier, it's called Soul Side Out by Amorbozo Hora, but I highly recommend, but it, I, I would really like to talk about kind of the spirituality things that you were talking about, because I mean, with your, you have a background now from literally every like aspect almost. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And that is why I am without well, blowing my own trumpet, a really, really good coach and therapist because right. I've been really broken. <laughs> I've had a lot of therapy. I have a lot of compassion. I've walked some of those very broken paths, you know, I've had an eating disorder, depression, you know, all sorts of stuff, divorce, mm. cancer, loss. So I'm very empathetic, obviously highly trained, but I do think that fusion of all of that plus, you're right, that extra something and that extra something is this soul journey it's this kind of a kind of a an empathy a kind of a yeah there's something else that goes on as well yeah absolutely and that's that's something that I have personally always experienced. I've been fairly spiritual, you know, and I've also been through, you know, not listening <laughs> to myself, yeah. to my intuition and, and developing the tinnitus um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, coming back to it and, and trying to like find and understand. I'm a very, I tend to want to be very analytical and have scientific basis behind what I'm feeling or experiencing. But, you know, I've, I've just recently kind of accepted that sometimes there just isn't. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. I don't have to understand it. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's the old analogy of you don't have to understand how electricity works to flick a switch in your house and turn something on, you know. So, mm -hmm. and I think because I am also that kind of rare combination of almost equal left and right brain, mm -hmm. I like to call myself a sensible maverick, you know. So. <laughs> I could be quite maverick and out there, but also I could be very sensible and, you know, do the math and all the rest of it if that needs to be done. So I, I do think that it's a real gift to have that because it allows me to obviously work with quite a wide variety of clients and get them, you know, from the kind of high performing businessman who's hiding behind the mask or businesswoman, burnt out Barbara, as I like to call her. <laughs> Um, you know, is maybe running a major, 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 major corporation and got it all going on and the big house and all the lot, you know, like I had, but is mm. absolutely exhausted or depleted or, you know, overwhelmed or ill or got some really bad addictive behavior to kind of fill the void and the emptiness. You know, I, I get her. So within five minutes of talking, she's like, oh yeah, you get me, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. But then equally, you know, somebody who's had a real health issue or actually can't from I do quite a lot of you know reduced rate work for people because I want to pay it forward as well because I've you know I've, I've been around charities I was actually a non-executive director for two charities as well and they were both prisoners and ex-offenders to get them out of that that poverty trap that prisoners have and recidivism and you know the only place to go is back inside jail so mm. you know I, I feel really passionately about this it's people need to be given those chances yeah, no, I completely agree. And I do too. For me, it took, my husband was deployed because he's in the military and we had had a really rough time of it while he was gone. And then my dad passed away. He got sick and I had to take care of him as well. And he passed away. And then the holidays happened, which, you know, you just kind of are going through the motions and you have to do things. And then I also have two kids. And so I came out the other side of the holidays basically and realized that I was exhausted and tired of having to put on a mask. <laughs> you know? Juggle, juggle everything. Yeah, yeah. Analogy, you know, the plates they have where they, they spin it, <laughs> just running around, spinning more plates. And, and women in particular, you know, I mean, look, a lot of my clients are men and men have different awful issues. I mean, the highest rate of, you know, suicide is, you know, men, I think, age kind of 18 to late 20s. And mm. you know, men are in deep pain, a lot of men, because they don't Absolutely. feel they can show that or connect with other people. So I, I'm certainly not 
kind of men bashing here, but women, oh my goodness. I mean, you, you mm. get women, particularly my sort of age, who are what's called in the club sandwich or the squeeze middle. So they've still got either the kids at home or the kids have left home but come back or they're at university and they're paying their fees. They've got maybe even grandkids, you know, because mm -hmm. they can't afford the childcare and they may be looking after them. And they've maybe got their parents as well and they've got also dementia or they're looking after them. And, they, and, and then they're trying to maintain a, a marriage or a relationship and probably a job. And they are just exhausted. There's nothing for them. Right. Oh, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. And they, and they don't put themselves first because culturally a lot of women mm -hmm. have been brought up, you know, to, to not do that. Oh, that's a terrible, selfish thing. You must not. So I always use the oxygen mask analogy that, you know, yeah. when you're on the aeroplane and they do the announcement, it's like mm -hmm. you've got to put your oxygen mask on first because if you pass out, you're no use to anybody. So, you mm -hmm. know, fill your own cup first. So a lot of my work with a lot of those women is really to get them to see that that is not just possible, but it's essential. Right. And yeah, I'm actually, I'm writing a document now. I was literally writing it before we got on here. <laughs> Uh, because I, I hadn't, so I went to write, you know, kind of about being a teachable soul and, and how to do that. And I went through and I was like, okay, you, you should be working towards having like confidence and boundaries and things like that and being kind of selfish sometimes. And I hadn't realized until I went to go do the research for it, but how much negativity there is actually surrounding that. Absolutely. And it's not a negative thing. <laughs> No, we have, I've got, I think I've got a whole chapter on this in my book in Reset, but I know I do say, so we have this big Sunday morning radio show on Radio 2 in England. It's like the most listened to Sunday morning radio show. Of course, I'm on a Sunday morning radio show, so I don't know why everybody's listening to that one, but I'll just park that. It's called Love Songs and they read out requests, but I can tell you two out of three of those requests will say something along the lines of, mm. oh, I hardly ever tell her that she's such a good mum such a good wife I, I just don't tell her but and she does everything for everybody she puts everybody in front of herself so we all thought that today we'd just give her a bit of a shout out it's like I think she deserves better than that right oh. <laughs> I find myself shouting at the radio you know going no <laughs> right like if that's the case can you do more please thank you <laughs> And I do, I do mention that in the book because I think, or people maybe think that's a terrible thing to say, but you hear me, you hear what I'm mm -hmm. saying. No, I don't at all think that's a terrible thing to say. You're, I, I do understand. But I was actually talking to my friend yesterday and he was saying how a male friend of his pulled him aside one day and was like, you have a really weird relationship with your wife. And he was like, what? How do you... Why do you think that? And he's like, because you act like you're your wife's best friend. And he thought it was odd because his wife, he... I hadn't thought of this, but my friend was explaining to me that, you know, most men just kind of act as if their wife is there. Yeah. And they same. And so here's another teachable soul experience. Mm -hmm. I am now in the best relationship of my life and I'm mm -hmm. in my mid fifties and my partner is in his mid sixties and we've both been married and divorced twice, but we both did the work on ourselves a few years ago. I really decided I couldn't keep repeating patterns or I didn't want any more pain. And so I had some time just getting to know me. Mm -hmm. and becoming my best friend and learning to love myself and then I did a lot of relationship work I went to AFEST I can't remember I think it was in Greece and I worked with Marissa Peer but I worked with Dan Savage and Esther Perel and kind of the world's leading relationship experts because mm -hmm. I was interested to know what they had to say from a therapeutic point of view to offer to my own clients but I really wanted to know for me right <laughs> and guess what I learned it I did the work I I made the changes I made the unfamiliar familiar I broke patterns I had a I turned up totally differently in this relationship than I did in my others and and it's a joy you know we still both have to work at it but look anybody listening to this who is like in their 50s or 60s and thinks that that's it for them because they've had a couple of marriages or bad relationships trust me it's not but you need to love yourself first yeah, that's, I think the faster everybody can just get to that part where they're like, okay, I need to be selfish and learn my boundaries and learn about me. Like the yeah. faster you can get there, the happier and longer you will live your life. Absolutely. And then you pay it forward more because, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a better place, you're grounded, you're positive, all the, all the good things. And, and that 
radiates out from you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Better world, you see, not just a better you, but a better world. And again, I had this conversation. I have an elderly client who's in her seventies and she said to me recently, well, what do I do? I'm just like in my village. And I'm like, wow, are you kidding me? Like, that she helped her neighbor because their house flooded. We've had a lot of floods in England. Mm. She, you know, has animals that she looks after. She's in a relationship. She's like there for her partner. I'm like, you're paying it forward all the time. And, and, and if you weren't there in that community, you don't know, you know, mm. you're like, it's all radiating out like the pebble in the water. So, and I know that Caroline Mice, I think she's called, I, I listened to her years ago spiritual madness and that's very much what she says that if your place is to be that placeholder just in your small community but that's that's good enough you mm. good enough and and that makes the world different if everybody behaved that way towards everybody else i mean i feel passionate about loneliness it's an epidemic you know mm. go speak to your neighbor invite them around for thanksgiving or in our case christmas day and just all of that and the world is becoming very fractionalized at the moment people are right. afraid there's a lot of change people are kind of joining their tribes and then i'm in this tribe you're in that tribe i don't like your tribe you should be in my tribe yeah it's really awful and we need to break it we need to raise the vibration we need to be spiritually aware we need to be untethered souls we need to pay that forward and i know in the work i do you know i do i i heal people i guide them and i couldn't have been such an effective healer therapist had i not been on some of those journeys myself well yeah and i think another important point there is too that i have a very i used to always pride myself on wanting to help others i love to help people i still love to help people but what i didn't realize was that i was not helping anyone by not helping myself exactly <laughs> it all comes back to it doesn't it yes and i think it's so funny though how like we actually have to become selfish and learn about ourselves and be selfish in those ways in order to be able to help others. Like yeah. How you do it. <laughs> some serious boundaries, you know, about my work, you know, when mm -hmm. I will and won't work. I don't work all the time. I don't work weekends. Mm -hmm. That's my time with my partner. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, oh my goodness, I've got a lot more boundaries than I ever have before. And that sounds counterintuitive because I'm trying to be very present and very spiritual and guided and instinctual and all these wonderful right. things. But because of those boundaries, you know, because my health is so important, of course, mm -hmm. I've had very compromised health for very many years. Right. I, you know, these boundaries are non-negotiable, you know, for me. And I have this philosophy about keeping a life of balance. And again, I've learned the hard way because I've been out of balance on all of them. And so I say to my clients, I say to everybody, I do a lot of speaking, hold your hand up. You've got five fingers. I mean, technically you've got four and a thumb, but let's not argue. We'll call right. it five. Because <laughs> it's five Fs and it's easy to remember. So you've got mm. five fingers, you've got five Fs. And a balanced, amazing life, you need all five. And so you need faith. Mm -hmm. Faith in God, something beyond yourself, even if it's just faith in nature, faith in, you know, something out there. Mm -hmm. Friends, you know, your friends, you become the sum total of the people you connect with and we all need to have friends and our tribes. Mm -hmm. Family, now look, I know for everybody that's a bit of a deal breaker. You know, for some people they go, you haven't met my family. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm in therapy. Um, <laughs> again, that could be your tribe. That can be your connection. It can't be your blood birth family, then, you know, create a family for you. Finance. Again, I'm not, I'm really good with money. I don't have money blocks. I think money is an energy. We pay it forward. There wouldn't be philanthropy if people couldn't give to charities. Money can be a force for good. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very positive and open and energized about that. Mm -hmm. And fitness. And you have to have that balance between your mind and your body. The mind controls the body. The body controls the mind. You need to watch what you're eating, what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're saying to yourself, how you're exercising all of it yeah and that's my life philosophy and I I check in with myself every day yeah I completely agree with your whole philosophy I love that I uh yeah I believe in balance I have always believed in balance as well um I never understood before I mean I I'm learning 
currently in the process of, as we all are, because we're all teaching souls, but, (laughs) you know, about how to balance helping others and how to balance being selfish with helping others and things like that. So, wow, you and I are on the same page, Kat. I (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I would love to have a session with you if I could just to to see my pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) RTT is very powerful. I mean, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. RTT is hypnotherapy and NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which I also was trained in in the 90s. And I'm a coach and CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy and psychotherapy. So it kind of brings all the best of all of those together. It's very powerful. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I can't even, I have heard about these things individually. I can't even imagine actually yeah. getting to have a session with someone who's trained in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, it, it's won loads of awards in the last couple of years because you know, it works. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. therapy, it's a partnership. You mm-hmm. and the therapist, same with coaching, same with mm-hmm. anything, you know, nutrition, you name it, you know, so we, we can't, I can't just go, Oh, it's, I'll fix you. You know, but together with somebody with the right desire to change and the right, you know, passion for doing that, this methodology and you choose the right therapist who's right for you, it, it, it really is quite phenomenal. Some of the results I've seen have been amazing. I bet. Yeah. I had a very, so growing up, my parents were divorced and they had a very tumultuous relationship. They argued over me a lot and very, they were both very aggressive about it, but I had a very, so like, the court would send me to therapy or, or a psychologist or whatever. And one of the sessions that I had with them was just horrible. The lady broke my trust is what it ultimately came down to. And so like literally from that point forward, I was like, nope, therapy's not for me. Not going to happen. Yeah, because that's a horrible experience for you. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, of course, I, I even then, just a, just a few years later, I was very young when that happened, but I, I'm, I've always kind of been intuitive anyways um, and, and very self-reflective. And so I, I look at all things from all aspects or attempt to at all times, pretty much. Yeah. So even then I realized, I was like, well, that was just one person and that was just one instance. And that doesn't mean that everybody is that way or that every therapist is that way. And so I just have to continue on and try again. And right. And this is a relatively new therapy. I mean, I was mm. clearly the, one of the, well, on the pioneer course. So yeah. nobody trained in it before me and some other people in the world. And it's coming up for five years, you know, this year. So, you know, in the, in the great scheme of therapies, that is quite a new therapy. It was yeah. like NLP when I was working with Tony Robbins in the 90s. It was like, what's that? You know, even now some people go, what's that? But, you know, Mm. it's relatively well known now, obviously, NLP, because it's been around for, you know, 20, 30 years. I think Richard Bandler was the guy who put that together. So, look, these these things build on other modalities and, you know, take the best of them and build and build and build. And so, you know, it's exciting that, you know, we're able to, you know, move the dial because people need it. I mean, they're so... Mm much you know as we've already said so much overwhelm so much disconnect so much brokenness you know it, 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 it's hard out there you know? it definitely is <laughs> yeah absolutely so can you explain a little bit about rtt because that's one that i'm not because it is so new i'm not completely familiar with so can you explain yeah, so it is this fusional this hybrid between clinical hypnotherapy it's really clinically hypnotherapy based so it's a a regression hypnosis therapy if you like but then it brings in these elements of cbt so that's very much cognitive behavioral therapy like you know what am i understanding about where i'm at now um nlp you know how am i talking to myself what are the words i'm using how am i seeing things what am i picturing and psychotherapy you know so and and where do the roots of this come from and so combining all of that it, it means that you can very deep dive and much obviously that's why it's called rapid transformational therapy you know maybe in 
who knows, one, two, three, four sessions, you can do what another modality would take eight, 10 sessions to do mm. because you've got that overlay of those tools and it makes it incredibly powerful to get back to what is the root cause, what is the underlying belief that is keeping you in this pattern of unwanted behavior or unwanted or unwelcome thoughts that you've maybe tried all sorts of things to fix. Lots of you know self-help books coaching who knows maybe traditional talking therapy and it's maybe helped for a while but then you kind of go back you know like a kind of a heat-seeking missile it kind of takes you back because it's it's literally hardwired into you you know your neural pathways will go back to what's familiar and what's there the grooves in the mind and so we are able to work with clients to get into that level of understanding that they may be really oblivious to to understand what the root cause of that was what the belief that that's instilled in you is and then through that understanding create the power to effectively negotiate with your subconscious because obviously it's a hypnotherapy and regression based therapy to then kind of uninstall that software if we like and install some positive software that you want for your operating system for going forward did that make sense oh absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if it will to everyone, but I completely understand. I'm very interested in psychology and the way that the brain works anyway. So I, I got what you said. <laughs> Good. I mean, I was a trainer for a long time in this methodology. I'm not doing it now, but you know, so obviously as a trainer, you, you, you get to understand it very well and explain it to other people. So, and I do like to try and use my communication skills to explain things. So that's my explanation. And I think most people will get that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, so I have never been hypnotized before. Is that something that is necessary for this? So uh, clearly it is hypnotherapy based, but what's really good about it is that there are so many tools within it, with it being this sort of overlaid modality, if you like, that mm -hmm. somebody who either is scared of being hypnotized or maybe quite resistant to being hypnotized it wouldn't be a deal breaker it wouldn't negate the power of the session I'm actually not very easy to hypnotize when I went to see Marissa back in the 90s and actually in my book I sort of say about the experience that I remember standing on the pavement afterwards going was I just what did I just close my eyes I have no idea you know and I was actually a bit skeptical to be honest and then mm. sort of several months later I realized that the very change in my behavior and thinking that I'd gone to do had happened but so sort of gradually you know like the needle you know moving gradually that I'd almost not noticed it and then it was a bit like you know, it was one of those crazy conversations where I think I said to somebody something like I just don't know if that worked really and they went well didn't you go because you had like money box and you were so sabotaged the business and I went yeah and they went and now you've just doubled your turnover <laughs> you're like yeah, they can four more people on and you seem to be really happy I'm like yeah there is that <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even realize that you had even been hypnotized <laughs> I know it's interesting isn't it so so no that's not a, a, an issue I mean and people go to very different depths of trance some people are mm -hmm. really so out of it that when you bring them back out they're a bit like oh where have I been for the last you know hour and you know they're kind of very floppy and you know they're very very relaxed and other people literally you kind of think it's almost like they are sitting there deep breathing with their eyes closed but we have so many great tools so many modalities in this method that that's not a problem it really is not a lot of the people certainly i trained in the past and I, I believe this is still the case as I say I'm no longer an active trainer I mm. they already are hypnotherapists or they already are psychotherapists or therapists of some other type and they've heard about how effective this modality is and they want to train in it and they will say things like oh we only had kind of one route in you know mm. to subconscious and so if that route wasn't working they'd get a bit oh what am I doing whereas we have sort of many so mm. yeah Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining all of that. I, I, I personally haven't really heard this talked about a whole lot in public places or, or with other people. So that was well, effective spokesperson. <laughs> right. <laughs> you should come speak in America more. <laughs> the depth of trance 
in hypnotherapy or certainly in RCT isn't the deciding factor. It's really how committed the client is to, to making that change and to working mm. in partnership with their therapist. I think that's the really, you know, big one. It's also about how suggestible people are and people are very suggestible. Usually people who are in quite a lot of anguish, you know, will be because they're, you know, there's a saying, I can't think who it's by, something like, so many catastrophes have happened in my life and some of them actually are true or, you know, are real, you know. So, you know, the, right. the, those scenarios are going on in your head and, and people will make themselves ill, won't they, out of, mm. you know, that worry and, and what they're doing. And that's, so they are very suggestible. Those, and so we will also point that out to a client you know it doesn't matter about how deep you go you are very suggestible you you know they'll they'll come and I'll be talking to them cognitively and they'll tell me things like I nearly didn't come today because I was lay awake last night worrying about the combo virus you know or worrying about you know like the floods or whatever and mm. and, and oh what did you picture oh I pictured my house you know flooding or my my whole family getting ill it's like you're very suggestible because you just gave yourself a sleepless night through those pictures you were creating in your head and they go right. oh right yeah maybe I am <laughs> so let's give you some better ones <laughs> right definitely <laughs> that's fantastic so Real quick, you mentioned people making themselves sick. Is Was your cancer p potentially at that time at least partially due to what was going on and what you were telling yourself? I Look, here's, you can have the woo-woo answer and you can have the non-woo-woo answer. I'll give yes, you I love both. So please. Yeah. <laughs> the non-woo-woo answer, I would say it was years of stress. Mm-hmm sleepless nights, too much alcohol, just stress, 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 stress. And there were a lot of hereditary factors that I hadn't understood. You know, I inherited the, you know, the BRAC gene. My, you know, my mother eventually died of cancer. My, both my grandmothers had cancer. My sisters had cancer. My nieces had cancer. You know, we are a family that, you know, this yeah. rogue gene is in. So that, toxic combination of all of those things plus years of being in a really 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 stressed environment and, right. and all the rest of it took its physical toll and so that was probably you know like petri dish conditions for cancer <laughs> you know so yeah. even though I thought I was really healthy because I was very slim and I went to the gym every day and I was vegetarian and I ran on the beach and all the rest of it no you know my body had different plans the, the woo woo side is I did meet somebody incredibly spiritual in the Bahamas a prophetess if you like and she said to me that she didn't think I was ever supposed to have the cancer and I'd only have the cancer for a short time while it taught me some lessons <laughs> 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 as it did <laughs> as indeed it did so you know what I'm kind of okay with either and I you know mm. don't overanalyze it anymore I, I moved on I didn't even overanalyze it at the time I never talk about my cancer I talk about the cancer you know mm. it's something that happened to me I don't need to own it I don't mm. want to you know and I would get really cross when people would say, oh, you, you had cancer. How long have you been in remission? Mm -hmm. And I'd go, I'm not in remission, I'm cured. I had mm -hmm. cancer, I don't have cancer. End of. <laughs> you know, it, was right. like, it was a very different mindset that I put myself into. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I love that you call it woo-woo. I call it that too. <laughs> We are very similar. I feel like we should really just be best friends and talk all the time. <laughs> We're like sisters by another mister. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today and for talking with me. This has been a very fantastic episode. So do, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and like, where do I schedule my session with you? <laughs> Absolutely. I am at www.rosalynpalmer.com which is r-o-s-a-l-y-n palmer p-a-l-m-e-r.com everywhere else as well but just just type in rosalyn palmer and you'll find me <laughs> right <laughs> very easy that's wonderful <laughs> And the book's on Amazon, so in America you can get it from there. I, my whole website's going to change in the next month, so it'll be even better and brilliant. And I'm going mm -hmm. to be offering lots more things, so there's going to be something for everyone. So we've got 
RTT sessions. I have a package where I do RTT and coaching. So that mm -hmm. kind of gives you that bigger journey when we can get rid of the old stuff, reinstall some new great stuff, and then actually work out where you're going to take that in your life going forward. I'm creating an online course. I'm going to have a community probably on Facebook. All these will happen this year. A bunch of recordings, which will be very inexpensive. I've obviously got my book that will be for sale there, and I'm co part of those other two books so mm -hmm. there's going to be something from literally kind of ten dollars to at the very top end i i work with about three clients every six months to do very very top level price on application coaching mm -hmm. and therapy that's fantastic okay yeah. and they can sign up for my newsletter which comes every week and i it's not a sell 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 newsletter i hardly ever try and sell anything i just give loads of really great advice away for free that's great well i will definitely be signing up for that oh let me know about your group too i love facebook groups and like community yeah yeah, yeah. I, um, I i went away i took january off i went to miami because i've got Good friends in Miami so having lived in the Bahamas I'm kind of quite used to Florida and having right. cancer treatment or the cancer treatment I'm catching right. myself I adjusted that uh -huh. and, well done that, that part of these changes is just noticing yourself doing stuff and changing it it's fine yeah. have it in action so I went away to plan that course that I'm doing I went away to plan that community so I sort of and I'm, I'm living with it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, is that, does that feel right? That's woo-woo again. Yeah. Um, look, I've got a background in PR and marketing and business. I could do a funnel. I could launch a course tomorrow. But yeah. I have to do one that is authentic and right for me and feels right for me. So I'm sitting with that at the moment. And so it will come out in the next, let's say, three four months i'll probably even want some people to beta test some stuff so maybe i can even put that out through some of your mailings you know people who want to you know kind of sample it before it goes live so yeah that, that is yeah. definitely happening this year but i am not you know as i say i, I could literally i've put courses together for other people mm -hmm. but mine has to just feel right it has to sit right with me mm. i have to be in my integrity on this so yeah but it, it's gonna happen and it's gonna be great thank you for that yeah that's super important to me whenever i'm dealing with people it has to come from them it can't just be a cookie cutter course that they probably paid someone else to write no and you know what there's like we used to have a saying when i was in pr and marketing who made the money in the american gold rush the people who sold the shovels <laughs> there's a lot of people selling shovels at the moment there are. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> nope, you're exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again. I can't wait to have a session with you and I can't wait to talk with you again. This has been lovely. It has been lovely. Thank you. And um, I've really enjoyed this. I love your energy and um, love your show. So thanks so much. Thank you. I love you too. You're awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs>